You're listening to the Group Practice Exchange Podcast, a podcast for psychotherapy group practice owners where you learn the business side of running a group practice. I'm your host, Maureen Werbach. This episode is sponsored by Therapy Notes. Therapy Notes is a practice management and EHR software that helps behavioral health professionals manage their practice with confidence and efficiency. I've been using Therapy Notes in my own group practice for about five or six years now, and they're hands down amazing. They've got a scheduling and to-do list that is so easy to look at, a notes template that is amazing and exactly what you need, billing that has accurate reports that you can use, credit card processing system, a client portal that's constantly being updated, security, and tech support that is amazing. You can call and actually talk to someone right away. If you're looking for an EHR that can give you everything you need to run your group practice smoothly, try Therapy Notes out by going to www.therapynotes.com forward slash the group practice exchange and you'll get two free months to try them out. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Group Practice Exchange Podcast. I have Julie Harris of Green Oak Accounting with me, and today she's going to be talking about um, some things to think about for the new year since um, at the time of this recording, it's the end of the year, but by the time you listen to it, it'll be the beginning of 2020. Hey Julie, how are you? I'm great, how are you? Not too bad. Okay, so tell people what what are they going to be listening to today? Yeah, so I just wanted to talk about... uh, how a group practice owner can prepare for 2020. It's a new decade, like things that we can do now to really have a financially successful year. Awesome. Perfect. All right. So let's jump in um, and start giving us some tips. Yeah. So this time of year, I really love to take a step back and really start setting some goals for the year, but then also doing the math on those goals. Um, So if a practice owner is hiring for the first time, they're just becoming a group practice. I really like to run those numbers as far as what is that income going to look like in 2020? What is that expense going to look like? So you really know what what to expect, right? Um, And if you're hiring more clinicians, it's kind of surprising how often people don't do the math on the financial impact of hiring, of the, the, the compensation structure that they put in place. Um, So I think it's a great time to really do the math and look at the year as a whole so you have a really good sense of what's going to happen. That's really smart. I feel like you're right. It is one of the finances are just an area that most business owners are not too savvy in because it's not something to go to school for. Um, But I see so often that your example with um, employment compensation the packages that people give are oftentimes um, not thought through in a sort of global sense. Um, right. Like with what you're talking about, it's like looking at the whole year, not just how does it affect you this month because your revenue is really good, but how, you know, can you sustain these benefits packages, let's say for the whole year, you know, even when you have a low month, like what's that going to look like? Exactly. And, and I find a lot of time, um, you know, especially that, that first time you're setting that compensation structure, it tends to be pretty critical. Uh, but if, if business owners don't know their margins, like for example, if they don't know what is your average overhead uh, for a session or, or just in general, and you're, you're setting compensation without knowing that, it's really easy to get into a situation where you can be losing money on each session that your hired clinician um, does. And that's not a good thing, right? Because you should really be making more money as a group practice owner than uh, 
than less as yeah. the, than you were as a solo. So knowing the margins uh, is really critical. So just as a quick, I know I don't want to make you go super deep into every one of these things because I'm sure every point that you have to make um, requires a lot of in-depth work. Um, but is there a, like a process that you would recommend in terms of, let's just take compensation as an example, because I feel like it's just a, a big thing that people are sure. thinking about at the beginning of the year, package, you know, compensation packages. Is there a structure that you would mm, suggest if someone's doing it, let's say themselves? Because obviously if, if, if a group practice owner wants to have someone else maybe help them through that, that would be where someone like you can come in and, you know, do your magic. But if someone is, let's say, just trying to look over their stuff, is there a process that you say kind of makes the most sense, whether it's like take your whole last year's revenue or take your whole last year's profits and then look at what your um, payroll was for the year and see, you know, I don't know if there's like a, I mean, I have a process of how I would do it, but that isn't necessarily the right process. Yeah, well, so um, generally speaking, we try to, um, so when a, when a practice owner works with us, we split expenses into five different buckets. Um, and so, you know, within those, one of those is overhead and one of those is admin. Um, and so the, the often what I see happen is, especially with that new hire, your overhead really isn't increasing that much. Um, so folks tend to just say, oh, well, you know, my overhead stays the same, so it doesn't, I can give them, you know, X percent mm -hmm. because my, my expenses really are not increasing, so it's going to um, still increase my bottom line. And that is true for the first hire, but then as you add more and more clinicians, that overhead does need to increase because yeah. you need an admin or you need more space or you need more software to just sustain the structure that you're building, and it's hard to go back then, um, and retrofit that compensation structure. Yeah. So I think you make up it. a really good point with, yeah. with that is even if you're staying in the same office and you're not expanding your space, but you bring on a few more therapists, it doesn't mean just because you're for, you know, your furniture is all set in the offices. You don't have to spend more on rent, you know, that it doesn't necessarily mean that your expenses aren't going to go up. And I think so many people do that, especially if they're growing within their existing space and just bringing mm -hmm. on a few people, they think, Oh, you know, I'll pay, pay 30 extra dollars a month for the, you know, therapy notes or whatever EHR for that person and $10 for a, you know, a Google email, but that's about it, you know, but really, like you said, at the end of the day, there's this ebb and flow where, um, you know, as you hire people, you make more profits, but then there's this space where you hire people and your profits don't actually increase because you have to, um, add admin in or hire billing people or bring on accountants and all that stuff where there's, you know, this ebb and flow of not, not every time you hire someone does that equate more profits necessarily more income. Yes, but not necessarily more profits, right? More income yeah. and not necessarily more profit. And, and you know, there's also additional time on the business owner as far as managing that employee and you know, making sure things are happening correctly within your own business. And you should be compensated as a business owner for that. You're also taking on you know, more risk and you're, the livelihood of other people. So there, there, there should be some profit built in. Um, and I think that's not always intentional mm -hmm. when you're looking at, uh, at compensation. So I, you know, if you're, uh, 
there's no perfect formula, but if you look at, you know, yourself as a business owner, your existing space, your overhead, if you're looking at that as percentages and then just replicate that. And so let's say your overhead between you and your, um, your virtual assistant and all of your overhead expenses, that's about 25%, for example. Then you want to make sure when you're hiring someone, you have enough space for that overhead percentage, but then also a profit percentage as well. So that's how you can, at least as a baseline, determine compensation structure. And then awesome. depending on if you're doing you know, 1099 W-2, make sure you account for the taxes too. Perfect. That's a good explanation. All right. What's another tip? Um, yeah, so I would say you know, it's a great time of year to um, look at how you're paying yourself. And is it enough? Are you, you know, again, you should be making more as a group practice owner than you were as you yourself, um, solo clinician. So are you bringing yourself, bringing home enough money for yourself? Um, and you don't need to have a vow of poverty, right? So you, you, I, I love when people are intentional about what they're bringing home. So there, there's doing a personal budget, for example, and saying, you know, I really would like to bring home $8,000 a month or 10000 whatever that number is, but we're intentional about that amount. And we're not just taking cash out of the business as needed, but we're intentional about paying each week or every other week or once a month, uh, but you're transferring that money home and not just taking cash out of the business. Yeah. And in a purposeful way. And so I, I, I was someone that um, definitely years ago when I first started, well, first I didn't take any money for probably two years, like at all, because I had a, I have major fears around like what happens if something horrible happens, you need to have all this excess money in savings. So it wasn't like I was spending it, but I wasn't giving it to myself and just stashing it in, um, savings, like a savings account for the business in case something was to happen. Um, but I, once I started paying myself, I definitely was that person that would, um, you know, take what was left at the end. And so it could always be different depending on how much I was spending. And so I, I think it's so such a good idea to have some sort of system, whether it's like taking a flat amount every month or every two weeks, or if it's doing something like what I do which with profit first, the numbers can vary a little, but it's always a, a a clear system of how, wh- how much I'm going to take or what percent I'm going to take. So that number might change, but the percentage is, you know, always the same. Um, so I know every first of the month I'm going to take X percentage of whatever, you know, our total income was, and I'm going to take that home. Um, so there's this consistency and I think it's such a smart thing to do. And you know what to expect too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and a lot, so just recently we had a, a, you know, new business owner that was coming on board and she said to us, we're, I'm not paying myself. I haven't paid myself from the business. Um, and so that was in the onboarding notes. But once we really started to dig in, she wasn't you know, purposefully intentionally paying herself, but she was um, you know, paying her mortgage out of the business account. Um, all of the, you know, the target credit card was getting paid out of the, the, the business account. There's a bunch of personal items that were going through the business account where really she was paying herself, yes. but not even realizing that she was. Um, I've, so I, I've worked with a few people that have done that. And I'm like, no, you're, that's, that's you paying yourself. It just looks different. <laughs> you're, you're, you're paying for your own personal things and you're not giving yourself a check, but you're paying for your personal things for your business. That's, that's your paycheck in a very different looking way. <laughs> Yeah, and maybe that's one of my uh, a bonus piece of advice is if you are doing that, stop doing that. Separate the business and the personal because that should be completely separate, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, well, so 
also, I love when um, people have a support system around them. So if you're, if you're in financial distress, it's a good it's good to have a trusted advisor, whether that be you know a coach, a mastermind group, uh, an accountant, like someone that you can go to with the what ifs, right? Like what if I add a clinician? What does that look like? Or what if I want to um, move into a bigger space? Or um, what if I increase my pay? Like what are the consequences of all those things? And can we talk through those things? A lot of business owners try to, to go it alone and that's really not necessary. Um, but sometimes in your, you know, in your own life, there's not someone who can necessarily, um, you know, who is a small business owner and can understand what's going on. So someone who can help you talk through those different pieces. I think that's important to have for any business owner. I agree. I agree. That's one of the, the areas I think that so many people slack on because they either are focused on putting out fires, you know, in their business mm-hmm. and they're not, they, you know, looking at support or finding support, whether it's paid support, like an accountant or financial planner or employment attorney, or even just peer support, like another group practice owner to bounce ideas off of once a month. Or um, they, they look at that as almost like I don't know if you think of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like the top, you know, not, not that important. It's not going to, you know, I eat, I need to focus on all the things at the bottom, the fires that I need to put out, the income that I need to increase. Um, but really um, when you focus on making sure that you have the right support people to help you run your business well, it has like this, you know, top down effect where things that are maybe fires in your business start to um, settle themselves out. It really does. And and those are the people that you can also celebrate the, the wins with too, right? Where, um, you know, for example, this year we had a bunch of um, practice owners that broke the million dollar mark. And that's a huge milestone, but they can't necessarily go and just tell their you know, their friends who are business owners because they don't always understand that you know, being at a million dollars in your practice doesn't mean you have a million dollars in your bank right. account, but having someone that you can you know, really celebrate that moment with and get some acknowledgement and then you know, keep going, that's that's worth something. It is, definitely. That's a good tip. Um, so I think it's a great time of year to also do an audit of your expenses and subscriptions to mm-hmm. make sure that you are using all the stuff that you're paying for because it's easy to just sign up for something little and then that really does add up if you're if you're not using it um, but most of all you know, a lot of times in in um, a practice it can get so busy that you don't have a whole lot of uh, design time or um, really like management time I if you have just the one hour if you get to choose between doing this and doing something else I would spend that time looking at how can you increase the income in the business versus how can you reduce a little bit of expenses. Um, and I think that's something we forget to do as, as business owners where you have so much control over the income that's coming in mm-hmm. um, that sometimes it can get really, it can be easy to get lost in that minutia of the tiny little expenses. But um, so I'd rather spend an hour figuring out how to increase income by 10% than how to reduce uh, expenses by, you know, $150. Yeah. Although there is something to be said about, um, about that. Cause I think most group practice owners are probably not focusing on the little things um, like the subscriptions and mm-hmm. like easy areas where um, money is just being taken out every month or every year. 
and, and is not being used well. One example is um, with me because we just are moving literally today um, into our, our new office space. And last week I had my admin. Um, I was like, oh my God, we have to have our internet at the new place. And you know how long it takes for them to schedule that appointment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she called and she was like, I was able to get them. So she pretended to be me and she was like, I need to you know, switch on the 23rd. I need the internet to go to this new space. And she was like, oh, just so you know, you're uh, saving $40 on the internet now. And I was like, what? And she's like, yeah, you know, they have, you got to like keep up on that. They always change their offers and specials. And, and I was like, gosh, darn it. So, um, you know, even if there's an admin that you can kind of spearhead to maybe talk to so that you're not spending your time, but to talk to some of those expenses to see if you can talk some of them down. And I was like, oh, well, that was, we had a call anyways to switch the internet. And then there you go, $40 a month saved on something, one, one thing, you know? That's a great tip. Yeah. Um, one that I've, that I've used per, um, successfully also is just changing your credit card number, like asking for a new credit huh. card and you close the account. And so you're going to start getting notifications of all the stuff that is not, that the payment is bouncing and yeah. you get to decide if you want to update your credit card information or not. And just, dude, so. that is such a smart idea. I don't know how many times I'm like, I'm sure I'm forgetting something. <laughs> yeah. That's so smart. You can literally go on Chase's website and say, you know, I lost my credit card, send me a new one and they will give you a new one with new numbers. That's so smart. They will. Yeah. And then, then you've got a lot less expenses all of a sudden. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's um, a good idea. Well, so another thing I love to do in January is looking at systems that you can simplify in your business. Um, you know, one that comes to mind for me specifically is payroll, um, just because we do so much of it. But a lot of times there's this really convoluted calculation that requires the, the business owner, right? Of like you get your X percent of this and then another different percentage of that. Like, is that really necessary and how can you simplify it to um, make it simpler, mm-hmm. uh, make it fair and, and more transparent and that also someone else would be able to do it, that it doesn't require you specifically as the practice owner. Yeah. As we speak, I just got a notification that payroll was done. <laughs> Clearly okay. not by me because we're doing this podcast episode. Uh, I, I, yes, it is. And it's so nice to the Simple things, you know, payroll is one of those where, I mean, we use Gusto, so it makes it so easy, Um, Mm -hmm. but it's, it makes it, it, when you find a platform that is user-friendly and nice and simplified, uh, but has all the kind of nuts and bolts that you need, um, it makes it much easier than for you to have, you know, your admin or a practice manager be able to do that payroll for you. Yes, and just go in and put the in, put the numbers in and be done. I, yep. I I really like it when that when that's the case. Yeah, I agree. Um, this is a, also a great time of year to talk to look at Profit First. Um, I know you use it in your practice. I'm a big fan. We're Profit First professionals. Um, but if you know if the system you have is is a working, this is a great time to look at that and start implementing. Um, you know, profit first is something that works super successfully. It's it's if you're if the business is already in distress, right? It won't fix something that's already broken. Like if the expenses are higher than the income, profit first can't solve that. But it can really put some systems around um, how you're paying yourself, reducing expenses, and and being intentional about the cash in the business. Yeah, and it lets you see where you're messing up. <laughs> you know. Yes. 
which I love. So exactly. And And I think it's such a smart thing for you to, that you said to, to do, to look at your profit first numbers at the beginning of the year. I have my profit first, uh, sheet up right now on my computer. Um, because at the new year, I'm wanting to make sure that my numbers are good. Do I want to shift a percentage here or there? Is there any, anything I need to, you know, be aware of or prepare for, for 2020 that requires me to, you know, play around with my percentages. And so, yeah, that is such a great time to look at it again. Yeah. Do you usually update your tops at the beginning of the year, your targets? Yep. Um, I, I think every year so far, I've been using it, I think three, two or three years, full years now. Um, and I think every year I've made a slight shift either because like the first year I, I wasn't saving enough for taxes when I did it. And so I moved a couple percentages over um, at the beginning of the year when once we did our uh, taxes for the previous year. Okay. And then I think another last year I shifted because I added all, a whole leadership team. So um, I shifted a little bit into um, our payroll account um, so that it, w- it could account for the increase in, in have I have a whole like leadership team so I could step back more. Um, so I made that shift and I don't know, I, I don't think I need to shift anything this year. It seems to all be working itself the way it needs to. So, but I have it up because I want to look at it just to make sure. Good. Even with a big move that, uh, that needs to change, that's really good. Yeah, I know. I think I, I did. <laughs> I think I saved well for this so far. It's all, all working out more furnished and, um, yeah, had the income for it. Thanks to profit first. That's that's amazing. That's yeah. really amazing. Yeah. Um, so one more, uh, you know, one more thing that we can do in January is look at um, you know areas of weakness for the practice owner and outsource those or give those to someone on the team. Um, but so you can really just spend your time doing um, things in your area of genius. I think that it, it often feels to practice owners like they have to do all the things all the time that they're just responsible for all of it and. Um, you know, there's a lot to be said for giving yourself a couple of hours back. So I agree. That's a, that's a great one. And it's a, the beginning of the year, I feel like is the time when, when group practice owners are more, most receptive to making these types of changes because they're like, new sure. year, new me. Like, um, whereas, you know, if someone gives us this, this feedback, uh, you know, in March or June or September, or even, you know, later then um, people are more, they just dig their heels in a little more, but I feel like at the beginning of the year, it's a great time where, you know, business owners tend to be more receptive to maybe having someone else take on a role for them because they, they're envisioning their new year to be like more downtime or more time for creative stuff. And so, um, that's such a a good piece of feedback because I think people listen to it more at the beginning of the year. Yeah. Well, so one thing that, um, you know, as the year has wound down, a lot of our clients have come to me saying, oh, I think I really just need more space in 2020. And so that's a discussion I've been having a lot. And it turns out um, for you, know, uh, about half of those uh, practice owners, it wasn't actually a space issue that they were having. It was a scheduling issue. Yes. They had a lot of part-timers um, and that, and they were just letting them pick whatever schedule they wanted. So the, there weren't a lot there. Were, it didn't feel like there was a lot of space available, but their therapy rooms were open more than 50% of the time sometimes. So we yeah. were really able to like it, just looking at that data and uh, running the numbers on it. Like, yeah, like if, obviously that's one thing I really like to do running the numbers. Um, you know, sometimes what you thought was 
uh, you know, done deal that you needed more space is not actually the case. Mm-hmm. And just shifting some of those schedules, and it opens up a whole, you know a couple more um, space for a few more th- clinicians. Yeah, I I think that's that's one thing that I feel like I did pretty well from the beginning. I made so many mistakes, but one thing I did well was playing Tetris with the office schedule. So it's a piece of feedback I give all the time when people are um, thinking about. Um, expanding or opening another office or breaking down walls and adding more rooms is um, I always am like, look at your calendar and see, are you maximizing your space right now? Um, And if you aren't, which most people, once they actually look at it, they have excuses for why they're not and why they feel like they need to expand. But um, I feel like it's the first step to, you know, them kind of not getting the okay that uh, with whatever excuse that they have, because there, there's a way to make it work. And we really should be, uh, you know, we're not a, I forget what it's called. Maybe you know what it's called. I'm forgetting now. Um, my real estate agent once said the word and I was like, I didn't even know there was a word for this, but, um, there's like, we're the type of business that the amount of space in an office has, um, a, a maximum amount of income that it can bring in. Because okay. our uh, there's a word for it. I don't know what's called, but it's essentially you know uh, we make our money by having clients come into rooms to be seen for sessions. So we can only make so much based off how many rooms we have. Like you can't make two million two million dollars in income in a three office space. Right. There's only so many client sessions you can have. I mean, obviously, if you do sessions out in the community, I'm just talking about three office spaces. Whereas like next door to us, we have like an eyelash company who is in, in an office um, in, next to us in the, in our building. And they um, are, like distribute, I think like fake eyelashes or something. So they don't, they don't do it in the office, in their space, they distribute, but their one office space could bring in $50 million because they, their office space isn't contingent on the income. So I'm forgetting what they call it, but um, we, we are definitely in an area where every, like our income is going to be tied to how well we're using space um, versus, you know, companies that sell things online um, and, and um, who like our real estate agents, you know, they, they have offices in our building, but their income they, it is exponential. It doesn't matter how big their office space is. Um, they can have a teeny room and they can still make a whole ton where we can't. We have to be really aware of how much uh, space we're using and how well we're utilizing each office. Um, so that's a good piece of feedback. Yeah. Well, and that Tetris is something to consider um, when hiring too, of what what's what time slots do you have available? What days of the week do you have availability? And I, I, I think that's often not um, as intentional, but I think it's a great way to think about hiring is how can I best fill this space? Because moving into another space is expensive, but there's also a, a whole new um, lease usually that's going to be you know, three to 10 years. There's a, it's a big financial mm-hmm. commitment. So anything you can do to stay in a less um, a less expensive space is a, is a good thing. Yeah, I agree. Good tips. Yeah. Are those all your tips? That's, those are my, well, I Perfect. guess my last tip is um, make data-driven decisions. So know the numbers and make your decisions based on uh, data. That's perfect. I like that one. I'm a data person. So that's right (laughs) in line with how I feel. Um, Okay. So I didn't start this uh, this way. So I want to make sure I end. Um, Tell people about you, your business. I know they've been hearing about you because you're sponsoring some of these podcast episodes, but tell people a little bit about you, 
um, and what you do and how you help people so that if, and how they can reach you. So so I can sure, reach out. Yeah. So my name is Julie Harris, obviously. Um, I'm the owner of Green Oak Accounting, and we provide full-service accounting to private practice owners throughout the United States, so both uh, solo and group. And we help with um, all of the monthly accounting, the bookkeeping, we can do taxes, we're profit-first professionals, so we can help implement profit-first as well. And we've got uh, you know, a big team of eight now, and we've helped over, we've worked with over 100 practices Um all across the country. So we can be uh, found at greenoakaccounting.com. Uh, you can sign up for five days of profit boosting tips there. Um, and you, yeah, that's the best way to reach us. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on um, and, and starting our 2020 podcast year off with some, some good tips for, for the new year. Thanks, Maureen. Yeah. All right. Have a good one. You too. Bye. Need a new accountant or bookkeeper? Meet Green Oak Accounting. They're an accounting firm that works specifically with mental health practices, both solo and group, and they do all of your accounting needs from budgeting to accounting to bookkeeping and payroll to building your dashboard. And on top of that, they can help you set up your Profit First systems. So if you're thinking of using Profit First or currently use them, go to Green Oak Accounting and check them out. You can check them out at www.greenoakaccounting.com. Mention the Group Practice Exchange and get $100 off your first month. Thanks for listening to the Group Practice Exchange podcast. We'll see you next time.